Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Success Harbor Podcast with George Mazaros, where it's all about making success happen for you. Hi, everyone. This is George Mazaros with Success Harbor, and I have Johnny Andrews with me. Johnny is a multi-time best-selling author, publishing expert, entrepreneur, international speaker, and business strategist consultant. Johnny has been known as the go-to guy for author entrepreneurs when it comes to launching a successful business or books by leveraging the power of audience at Amazon. Welcome. Well, hey, thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here, Johnny. Can you talk about uh, trying to become a real estate investor at 27? How was that experience and was that your first experience as an entrepreneur? <laughs> uh, that was probably one of the more brutal experiences as an entrepreneur. I can definitely tell you that. I, uh, <clears throat> it, I had been in the real estate business for a couple of years. I was doing mortgages and things like that. So I had come out of selling vacuum cleaners door to door. I was doing one of those Kirby things. Uh, following a stint as a bartender, and I was like, "Dude, I need to change this stuff up." And so I made a series of decisions. You know, so I wanted to be able to make more money, kind of work my own hours, you know, all that, all the typical stuff that comes around with being an entrepreneur. The mistake that I made was not following anyone's advice. Like I was really headstrong and thought, "Oh, I can just figure this stuff out on my own." Consequently, um, horror and dismemberment uh, ensued. Uh, along with that, I did have some successes. The first deal I did uh, brought in quite a bit of money. And it was awesome, but it, it was one of those uh, unique entrepreneurial experiences that I think a lot of people have had is that when you have that initial pop of success, you suddenly think, oh, well, that's all there is to it. And then you go to try to do the same thing again without really knowing how you did it the first time. And then you know variables can come up and all of a sudden – you know, things can go sideways. And so it was pretty crazy. So I was trying to make it as an entrepreneur in this real estate thing. And I was still doing loans to kind of keep the, uh, to keep the, uh, you know, the lights on and whatnot. But I was actually living in an office. I had made the choice to be homeless at the time because I wanted to change up my life. And I was like, I need to put myself into a position that was, that I thought at the time, if I just make it bad enough, that's going to motivate me to work harder. At that time, my philosophy was the harder you work, the more successful you'll become. I have since learned that is totally crap. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, it was, it was, everything was wrong with that picture. And I was busting hump, uh, living in this tiny little office, sleeping in this little wicker chair, trying to get these deals to close. And finally, like it was a couple weeks before that was going to happen, and I got a call from the underwriter. They're like, we can't give you the loan because you're late on your mortgage. I'm like, dude, I uh, live in an office. I don't actually own a home. Well, it turned out that someone had stolen my identity and was late on and used it to buy a home and was late on their payments, and that was showing up on my credit report. And now I have obviously learned through doing the loans in the years I was doing that how to clean up credit. Now, I can tell you it is a world of difference when it's you and time is of the essence. And so needless to say – that went south about as fast as it can, and I ended up losing everything. I was totally wiped out. I mean I had built up a mountain of debt on my own. Don't get me wrong, uh, but that specific situation totally pushed me in. What I realized at that time was that I had been running from the thing I feared the most, which was complete financial destruction, and I was like – and when it happened – you know, I ended up getting like the best sleep of my life because I realized, okay, that's it. This life is that door closed. And it's one of those things, you know, when they say, you know, one door closes, about a billion and a half more open. Sometimes what they don't tell you is it might take you a little while to see those open doors. And so, so yeah, that kind of went from one, you know, from one thing to the next. So 
So what happened after that? What, what was the next thing that you tried after uh, trying to become a, a real estate investor? And somebody stole um, your identity, obviously, and that, that didn't go through. So what was the next thing that you did? The next thing I did was uh, kind of freaked out a little bit. I mean, to be perfectly honest, because you know I was in this. I I had no bank account because I had I had to overdraw my bank account uh, to go crash at my folks' house, and just to be able to get a couple of hundred dollars out of that, and uh, you know to put gas in the car. Luckily, I was driving a Honda Civic, which, by the way, brilliant gas mileage. Love those cars. Uh, so if you are in a financial ruin and you need to go a long distance in a vehicle. I'd recommend a Civic. But, it's a great um, car. I have one of those. And I really have a, another Fit. I, you know, I, I mean, I don't want this to be a commercial, but I used to have a BMW before, and I swear the Hondas are better cars because I, I never so had too. any problem with Hondas any of the Hondas starting. that I owned. It's a beautiful thing, yeah. So if you're homeless and in financial turmoil, I think we both recommend the Honda. <laughs> it's going to be a good thing. Um, so I crashed in North Carolina with my folks uh, for about, oh man, I want to say maybe six weeks or something like that. It was over the holidays, which was hilarious in a really depressing kind of way. Uh, and what I did at the time was I was looking for different businesses that I could get into. And I started to realize that I was reading a bunch of Robert Kiyosaki stuff. And one of the things he was talking about was fail faster. And I thought, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense, you know, because you can just get it out of the way. And so what I figured out how to do is if you create a business plan and, hey, people who are in business might be kind of going, dude, really? But I was 27. I was naive. You know, I came from a family of PhDs. So the concept of being an entrepreneur was sort of like, I don't know, you know, growing up as a Satanist in a, you know, with your dad being a preacher or something like it was it was crazy. Like it was absolutely the definition of lunacy to them. So I had no background for this and I was learning as I went. And so I started doing business plans and like projecting out. And so what I was able to do was fail through probably, I want to say almost 13 different businesses. I mean, everything from like a cleaning service uh, to like a car wash. Like I went through everything I could possibly think of. But it was just, at the, to the you were just planning, you just created a business plan. You didn't actually try to start 13 businesses and failed in a row. Oh, good work. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I failed on paper and that was good enough for me. You know, and, and, and why why did you fail? Like, what were some of the examples that uh, some of those uh, those thirteen businesses were not good fits? It was for me. I was looking more at the time value of money, and that's kind of the big crux of it. Is that I was finding that I was overly leveraged in all of those businesses. They all required time from me. They all required. And one thing I had learned doing uh, the vacuum sales was that it stunk horribly because it was me driving around going door to door. I mean, if you want to work hard, I mean, it's a great business if that's like the only thing you can do. But if you want to work hard to make money, go sell vacuums door to door. I mean, that thing weighed like 800 pounds by the end of the day. It was nuts. And I was like, wow, this stinks because nobody was qualified to buy it. And they would just give me random leads and send me out. So I'm like, okay, let's evolve that process. Let's, and so the mortgage thing, at least we qualified the leads based on credit. So if I was running that appointment, I knew there was at least a snowball's chance that loan was going to close and I could get paid. So, but then that was still me running it. So I'm like, let's get bigger, you know, for a couple thousand dollars. So I'm like, let's think bigger. Let's really qualify this stuff. Let's do investing. So now I have better qualified leads so if I run an appointment, there's a good chance that if they like me, they're going to do the deal with me, and I'll end up walking away with not 2000 but like fifty or 60000 It's like great bigger money, but then there was still the whole rehab process and the lunacy involved in that. And so I was looking at this as to how I could leverage systems 
And that was kind of the mental evolution I was going through at the time. And so if you look at things like, you know, cleaning companies and whatnot, it didn't make sense for me at the time. And so that's why I started looking at, okay, what's this internet thing? And how yeah, can I so use it to make Let's talk about it. So Google. how did you discover and what, what year was it when you discovered internet marketing? Oh man, that's going to be, I had tried and failed a couple of times before. And With I was internet marketing. Kind of, yeah. I, I had done lots of stuff. So give me some examples. Just, I, uh, give me some examples of, of when you failed initially. Um, well, I tried doing the very zygote form of search engine optimization and content marketing, and it wasn't that I didn't get the idea. It was that I didn't really devote myself to learning it because uh, at the time I had the mindset like, oh, well, you know, I had different stuff going on. I was kind of like, maybe if this works, it'll be great. And that's a big mistake. If you If you approach anything, I think, with like one foot in, one foot out, you're probably don't put any feet in just don't don't do it at all like you have to put yourself into it and make it work it's kind of like when i used to work with these auto repair guys uh to to help them with their marketing and stuff like that you know and and someone would be like oh yeah i tried direct mail and it failed i'm like okay well what did you do he's like well i sent a letter to all these people in my local area i'm like well okay did you send an envelope or did you send a postcard well an envelope i'm like my next question is usually okay would you change a tire with a cantaloupe because it's like that's what I was doing is I was changing a tire with a cantaloupe. I was using the wrong mindset and the wrong tools to try to do something to try to achieve an outcome, and it didn't work. And so that was part of what I was saying at the beginning was I didn't take the time to learn from other people what needed to be done. And so that, that was the big mental shift that had to happen. So all of my internet businesses that I tried, uh, some of them were based around uh, you know just horrible markets that didn't even exist. I didn't even know. Uh, you know, I didn't bother to learn how to find a good market. So I made a lot of newbie mistakes being a newbie. Shocking, I know. Mm-hmm. And why uh, not quit? Why, better, why haven't you quit? Oh, because I've done extremely well since then. <laughs> no, I'm talking uh, about the failures. Because, I mean, you, you talked about a lot of different things from selling vacuum cleaners to, you know, getting into real estate and then try to invest and then not succeeding and then trying Internet marketing, not succeeding. So why not just give up and try to get a job and forget about this whole thing of being an entrepreneur? Well, I did eventually get a job. and uh, I, But I, I, I'm here's the problem with me. I'm like the guy you see in those boxing movies that like the crowd, like after the dude just got the crap beat out of him, the crowd said, don't get up again. And I'm the guy who gets up again. You know, I'm missing all my teeth. My eyes are swollen shut. Can't even see the opponent. You know, I'm like, you know, swinging my arms in the air. Like I'm just that kind of idiot sometimes. And I can't help it. I think that might be a genetic thing or whatever it is. But no matter what it is, I have this absolute disregard for authority. My wife hates this. Uh, that I absolutely cannot stand having a boss. Like it's something in I have never, ever, ever in any situation done well with that kind of with that kind of environment. So jobs just don't work for me. But after coming out of this whole homeless bout, and you know, then being I couldn't get a job. Like it was crazy because my credit was all you know scratched up. Uh, couldn't get the bank. Uh, you know, no one wanted to hire me because everybody checks credit. And so finally, I had to go in like the lowest hanging fruit sort of thing, work with a dude uh, who ran this, this company. It was a very short position because eventually I u- uh, you know, used the money I was making there to start a new business. But um, I, I don't know what it was. I think I just sort of over the years couldn't give up 
because it was who I was, mm-hmm. you know, and it, mm-hmm. it just felt like stopping would be wrong. I mean, I guess the, now they call them entrepreneurial pivots. When you do one thing and it doesn't work, so you shift a little bit and then you do another thing and then see where it happens. And you just have to go through enough of that where after a while you start to notice patterns emerging and you're like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, I mean, this is important because I want people to hear it because I think a lot of people that try businesses, you know, fail and then they give up. And I, I really want people to hear that, you know, not only that you will fail once, but you will fail many times. And, and oh. that's the way it is. So it's, it's not anything that you did wrong or, yeah, it's something that you did wrong, but everybody does. And it's oh, just it's part of the fault. process. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's part of the process, and yeah, it's it's, it's it's the mistakes that you make, and also the the environment and the circumstances and the economy and all the other things. But I think what people need to hear is that this is part of the normal process, and you just need to get up and try and do something else. Totally. Well, let me give you a quick little thing here. Is you know my upbringing, and I think upbringing is a big deal in this because I've worked with people now who's like you know their parents gave them Think and Grow Rich when they were a kid and taught them to have that entrepreneurial spirit and taught them how to hone that and stuff like that. And and I look at you know their sort of tenacity for this versus my folks who did exactly what you said. They tried to make money in real estate way back in the day when they first got married, and I guess they kind of got burned with it a little bit. And so, you know, when growing up, they had this opinion that being a business person was the epitome. It was basically the same thing as being the Antichrist. Like it was like, don't do that. You'll ruin your life and those in the lives of those around you. And I didn't understand that. And and we had a very unique, let's call it uh, family dynamic with that. And so I grew up with this internal belief system that my natural drives to be a business owner were actually wrong. And so I had to relearn that stuff, and that was a very difficult thing. So I think that happens a lot also is that there's an internal belief system that's been instilled in us by our upbringing, parents or environment or whatever, where we have negative beliefs around money, around business, where we're taught that successful people are greedy. And that's just a whole line. That's that's a bunch of crap. Yeah. So let's talk about what was the first time when you started to see some success with internet, uh, internet marketing? I finally bit the bullet and bought a course. Because uh, remember what I said, like I was headstrong in probably the worst way. And I'm like, you know what? This is ridiculous. Like I finally started listening to the, to the echoes out there. Because I, 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 it was funny because I was coming at this thinking everything was a scam. But I still wanted to do it. Like th- there was no justifying that sort of ridiculous mindset. Like th- th- it's just, yeah, that was there. Um, and so I finally bit the bullet. And I said, listen, I'm doing the same thing and I'm getting these horrible results. Why not do what everybody says? And let's go and look at people who are successful and figure out what they're doing and then kind of do that too. And so I bought this course and it was called Day Job Killer back in the day. I want to say maybe this was 2006-ish. Something like that, and it was teaching how to make money with Google AdWords, pay-per-click, driving uh, traffic to affiliate offers. And obviously, this is something that will not work today. Like, everything has changed. Uh, But at the time, this was like, holy crap, this is amazing. And I read through this. I remember I, I bought it was a digital course, but I bought it, and I printed it out. And I remember I was laying in bed with a flashlight. I don't even know why I was doing this because I was a grown adult. It's not like I was hiding this reading material (laughs) from anybody. But I was giggling like a little kid. 
going, this makes total sense. Like these were the pieces that I was missing. And it was all about like how to the psychology behind the sales. You know, what is it that drives people? What is it they want? How to pick a market? I was like, oh my word. And immediately, like within a couple of days, I started selling. Uh, it was it was really funny. It was like how to stop sweating and how to lose man boobs. And what's really <laughs> funny about that is after I built sort of like an online empire, let's call it, I ended up meeting the guy that built those products. And I'm like, oh my god, you're the dude. It was hilarious. But um, yeah, it was it was nuts. And so that was the first money that I made. And from there, I ended up creating a course and sold it in the Warrior Forum. And I'm, I don't know if your audience – it's basically an internet marketing training forum that – a lot of good ideas just don't spend too much time there because there's a lot of you know, negative kind of people hanging out. Uh, but it's a cool place, and you can, you, if you do it right, you can make a lot of money there. And so if I wanted to eat because at this time I still didn't have a bank account, I had to get money into my PayPal account so I could get that little debit card they give you so I could go to the store and buy food. And that was a wonderful motivator. So you started out basically as an affiliate marketer, and and then yes. at what point did you transition into selling your own products, and, and why did you make the transition? I made the transition for the same reason that I got out of selling vacuums and got into mortgage. I was looking for leverage. I, as an affiliate marketer, from the way I was doing it, I was clearly a sales guy for somebody else. And I was like, well, if I'm selling this dude's stuff, why can't I get other people to sell my stuff? But in order to do that, I needed to have a product for them to sell. And so I created a product on how to do affiliate marketing. But instead of using paid traffic, I showed how to uh, – because I, really, I got really good at search engine optimization. And so I was able to use the same psychological techniques that you know, they were using for uh, the paid traffic, but I did it for free. Because obviously I didn't have enough money to really continue a whole lot of those uh, paid ad campaigns. So I'm like, well, what if I can just rank in Google under these things and do the same stuff? Next thing you know, bam, making money. I was like, woohoo. And I just sort of leveraged that into a product and then took that product uh, around to different affiliates. I said, hey, you know, I'll love it if you'd promote it. And it was running through ClickBank and stuff like that. And that was when I started to make like real money. Like I had never in my life made six figures in a year. And I ended up making uh, an extremely good living. And then I think it was around 2007, 2008, where I did my first million in sales. And it was a combo of affiliate marketing because that's when I learned about building a list and building those subscribers and being able to sell stuff to those subscribers. And that was the ultimate leverage point. And so I became a super affiliate for other people. And so I'd show up in the top three or top five or sometimes top two or even sometimes number one as their big promoting affiliate. And then they'd be like, wow, dude, thanks. You, you, you crushed it for me. Uh, how about I promote your thing? And I was like, great. That sounds delicious. And so I then kind of got sucked into that inner circle of all the people that promote each other's stuff and made a bunch of money. It was great. So – uh, so uh, today, does does that work the same way if if somebody wants to become an affiliate marketer? Um, I mean, you're talking about years later. SEO has changed so much. Pay-per-click is so expensive now that it's pretty much prohibitive for most small businesses. Um, how do you see the, the marketplace changed for, for affiliate marketers? It's The way that it's changed now is to become – you can't necessarily – you're right. You can't drive traffic directly to an offer anymore. I mean not only will the, the, the affiliate networks prohibit that, 
but it's just a bad idea because your conversions are so low. I mean, back in the day, I was spending you know twelve cents on a click. Now you're like twelve bucks. It's ridiculous. I mean, good luck making money at like a half a percent conversion with those kind of costs. Um, now it's more about it, it, it. It's content marketing, and really personality is what it comes down to. Can you provide value using your own voice? And go and nail that market. Like if you look at someone, say, like Pat Flynn, for example, great example. Uh, he does tons of loot through affiliate marketing. And all he does is get out there and he interviews people on his podcast and you know, he has a resource page. And he doesn't really promote stuff very hard, but he recommends, hey, I'm using this product right now. If you buy it, you know, I'll get a cut. And if you build an audience like that, that and, and that's never changed right there, that element of go and find your audience and just be awesome to them. You know, you don't need to be – the big name in the room. That's a, I think that's a misnomer that a lot of people take away is that they have to be like, you know, Tony Robbins or something to be successful. That's not even slightly true. What's funny is after I kind of moved away from doing pure direct, you know, direct response internet marketing and kind of got more into the content stuff because uh, it just resonated better with me as a, as who I am as a person. I was like, I kind of like just hanging out and talking to people, and this is way more fun than just doing ads all the time. And so, yeah, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh no, what I was saying is, it's, it's. I, I discovered that there is a legion of people out there, call them tier two business owners. Most of them are doing a healthy multiple six figures, if not a low seven figures. Which I mean, if you're pulling off fifty grand a month, that's life changing money, and that's not hard to do. And all it takes is like just go out there and be yourself, and you can have a coaching business or you can have you – know, you can do it with real estate. You can do it with anything, but you have to go and get your audience, and you, have to, and you just have to be the dude that they want to listen to. And so don't try to be everywhere. Go be so in, to those one group of people. So in terms of content marketing, you, you mentioned that a few times, and you, you brought up Pat Flynn who has been – I agree with you. has been doing an awesome job with, the, you know, with everything that he's doing. Um, what 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 is what makes great content the content that really sets you apart today? I mean, there are so many people that blog and then they give up after a few months because they don't have any visitors and all that. And there are some people that can really crush it. So, what what makes great content? What makes great content is that it's targeted to a specific audience and it's the stuff that they want. Great. So there's no clear definition of great content. Like, let's say uh, you know I I talked to some folks who are doing business to business in like the oil pipeline industry. I mean, what? Like, really content marketing for those guys? I mean, here's like this old school group of cowboys, you know, this ancient industry, let's call it, that is absolutely the last guys to the table when it comes to anything internet related, who are used to keeping everything to themselves. And all of a sudden a guy comes out and starts talking about like, you know, the 16 ways you can increase your bottom line by doing flada fla or whatever it is. And all of a sudden these people are paying attention and this dude like grows his business by like 50% a year. It was nuts. And that's, but that content would suck anywhere else. But if you go to that one specific audience that you want to talk to and you give them what they want in the way that they want to receive it, that's good content. That's what it means. Be yourself. Don't try to be somebody else. And just talk to people. Give them good stuff. Like let me give you an example. Bloggers give up typically because 
blogging stinks. It really does. It's a lot of work, and it's kind of a thankless job. The trick is don't blog on your own blog. John Morrow actually put out a post on this, and I was laughing hysterically because I'm like, yeah, man, thanks for saying it. Um, blogging is a terrible idea if you're just getting started because nobody's watching you. What you have to do is go where the eyeballs are. You have to go and get your articles on other people's websites. So guest blogging now becomes smart. And so what I do, this is what I recommend others do too, is do something that, that's kind of chilled out and easy like what we're doing now. We're having a conversation. We're having fun. It's audio. Like I promise you I'm not typing a stinking thing right now. You know, We're just having a conversation. I'm telling you what I think. You're telling me what, I, what you think, and it's, it's cool. And that's good content. People will, people will come to your site to go get that stuff. So you build your list uh, by having that stuff on your home base, and then what you do is the good articles, the real good stuff, you go and give that to other people and have your little byline. And so that way you get their traffic to come to you. Okay, and let's talk about briefly uh, content promotion because I, that's one thing that that I think a lot of people are struggling with, and that could be a blogger or just any business online that creates content. But then, then what do I do? How do I promote that content? And uh, you know, one is obviously the guest blogging that you brought up. Anything else that comes to mind that is really effective today? The two things that are most effective right now are going to be guest blogging and podcasting in terms of getting traffic back to your website because what it is, what everything is now is based on personality because everybody's out there basically telling you the same stuff that's been said for the past decade. There is no new information. Like even Facebook marketing is the same stuff repeated over and over again. Like everyone's like, ooh, Facebook is changing all the time. I'm like, yeah, kind of. But the psychology, the reason people do what they do is the same stuff that they were doing 2,000 years ago. You know, you can't change that. We're people. Until we become like goats or something or some other weird creature, we're going to act the same for the same reasons. So, you know, go do the same things that were working before the internet started, but just go and do the two things, like go guest blog and go do a podcast. So you have your home-based stuff and Apple is wonderful. There's tons of traffic that can come out of Apple. Focus on building your list. Promote your content to your list. From the content, you can then promote different offers and things like that if you like. Uh, and then what you do is you promote your homepage or your blog where you have all this list building stuff, and you go and hurl that out on other people's websites. And just expect this to take two years. Like you're not going to make a million dollars your first year. If you do, congratulations, you're probably deeper into the game than some people. But this gets down to be you know, a relationship game. You have your A-listers, uh, you know, Pat Flynn, John Morrow, those kinds of folks who you want to get in front of their audience if, you know, if you're doing that kind of thing because they have like tons of eyeballs, like hundreds of thousands if not millions of eyeballs. You want to get in with them, but that's going to be a slower cook because everybody wants to get in. So you look up maybe one level down. You find people who probably don't have that same traffic, but they still have an audience. Get in with them. And so you want to take, make like three levels, like the lowest, the medium, and then the super high, and just start at the bottom and kind of work your way up. And there's other people that argue with that. They're like, just go to the top because there's tons of people on top. Go ask them if you can do a guest post. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And, and I do that a lot too. So just get out there. That's all there is to it. Just, just put your stuff out there. Know who your audience is and put it out there. It's so much I'm actually, It's really interesting that you mentioned the two year uh, to two year mark because I've interviewed about a hundred entrepreneurs and uh, several of those are multi million dollar bloggers 
and the two years has come up over and over and over. Yep, and I'm actually it. thinking about writing a blog post on this because a lot of people start and they look at it from you know in, in a perspective from you know like matter of months you know what's going to happen in three months six months mm-hmm. five months whatever and then i interview all these people that have succeeded and and you know they're telling me that you know the first year i didn't even care if anybody read what i wrote i just wrote because i enjoyed it and I, I churned out all this work and you know made connections networked and it wasn't really until about two years when i started to make money with my blog and that in itself is enough to turn off about 90% of the people, unfortunately, right. because it's just way too long for somebody to see the results. Yeah. So that's, that's so interesting that you brought that up because I do see that myself as well. Yeah, three years is then when you start to get the you know, ground-pounding numbers typically. Like if you're looking at a normal person who stays focused and stays the course, I mean that – and you know, I told you this when we first started talking. That was my big problem is I was like scattered all over the place. If you pick and you stick and you focus and you move in a linear direction, you're going to see success faster. And what happens in that first year is that's where you embrace the learning curve. And you'll put, and this is not like you're going to make zero money. You can definitely make money. You're just probably not going to pull off a million-dollar launch if you're brand new at this. You know, it's like, so there's a matter of expectations. Let me give you an example. Like my podcast, I didn't even bother to launch it. I'm like, this is a two year cook time. Like I made the commitment to do this for a minimum of like 24 months. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to start talking to people. I'm going to have conversations. The audience will self-select. I will eventually, you know, within a couple of interviews, start figuring out, you know, who I want to talk to, why I want to talk to them and who I'm speaking for and to. Shockingly enough, within three, four months, that's exactly what happened. Made a pivot from general entrepreneurs to people who want to be authors and produce content marketing. Was that like, oh my gosh, the business failed? No, it wasn't. It was, it was a pivot. It was like, okay. But this is also you know, years of having my butt handed to me for not understanding that phenomenon. So I expected you know, it. What you just said is so important because a lot of people think, like you said, oh my God, this is like a bad thing. But it's actually, I think, the sign of somebody that knows how to succeed in business is to really be aware and listen to the signs and be able to make those adjustments or pivots, which is a cooler word, I guess, today to use than adjustments. Uh, and so can you talk about that? Like what, what are some of the things that you're watching as you, as you see if, if you need to make an adjustment? I, it's all, it comes down to two things. First of all, you, because a lot of people say just listen to your audience, and that's true, but that's a secondary to what you feel. What's going to happen as you do this? It's almost like an ethereal kind of thing. Like I can't say – this isn't one of those things where I could write a book and be like, all right, step four, reach deep inside the cockles of your heart and go figure out what you want. That doesn't really work like that. At some point, usually fairly quickly, depending on the speed with which you hit the ground running, and this is what I did in order to get this – to get, to get to this point faster, I front-loaded so many entrepreneurial interviews. Like I just grabbed everybody. I didn't care. I was like, let's just find people and go talk to them and hear their story and figure it out, and I'll find out what I like, who I like talking to, and eventually my audience will identify themselves. And that's exactly what happened is I figured out because of my background and the stuff that I enjoy that I was all about the publishing thing. I love the whole author angle. Uh, you know, I'm actually rebranding Audience Hacker into author movement and stuff like that, and, and it, it's awesome. Like, it's really cool. 
And that just came because I just paid attention to what I wanted. And then all of a sudden, what I wanted started to come out in the questions I was asking people. What I wanted to know is I got more into that vibe and that industry, and as I got more into being interested in producing written content, I started asking people different questions. And so what you, you begin to transform into the thing that you want to be as you take the actions that move you forward. And some of it's unconscious, but once after a short period of time, it's really not that long, you begin to just feel like, okay, I'm now driving in that direction. You know, and you could see a very big shift in psychology and direction of questions and type of guest, all that kind of stuff as I move into that. And so, you know, I went from just general entrepreneurs to now entrepreneurs who are, you know, focused mostly on publishing to entrepreneurs who are doing a ton of fiction to those who are like New York Times bestsellers and nonfiction to people who are doing book review blogs, like all this different kind of stuff. And it, you know, I wouldn't have known that that was where I was passionate had I not just put one foot in front of the other. And I think that's the big one is people think that they have to wait for a sign. Don't wait for the world to tell you what you need to do or for you to figure it out. You learn by doing. Yeah, and it's cool because, you know, when you go to your site, you actually state it very clearly uh, on on your website. It says, I help authors and content marketers sell more books by growing their audience, their influence, and their leverage. And, you know, a lot of people that, you know, either start blogging or, or start a business, they don't spell it out. And I think it's important for you to know and it's important for everybody to know when they go to your site, they know exactly what you're, how you're going to help them. Absolutely. That, and that's important. Is have a, and this, this did not come overnight either. I mean, my first permutation was kind of like, like it was awful because uh, I didn't know what to say. So I just said something, you know. And then as I kind of got better at what I was doing, uh, and and I found my voice and I found my direction. I just you know I I refined it and refined it and refined it. So I mean that's what you're reading is like multiple edits and it will change again. You know it will get tighter and tighter and tighter as stuff goes. So it's like when people are looking for you know that inspiration or whatever they want to do, the, the inspiration happens as you move forward. And I think that and I I fell into that trap a lot back in the day. Yeah. You know I would like sit on my haunches waiting for something to happen. I'm like don't that's not how to do it. Yeah, so don't try to – let's say if somebody's listening and they want to identify a niche for themselves, don't try to come up with the niche, but instead take action. And as you take action is how you develop and, and fine-tune whatever niche you want to be basically. Uh, with, with one caveat to that, like if you're looking at the difference between like say teaching people how to run a small business or how to do macrame, that – it's kind of diametrically opposed. Like you don't want to like, don't cross the streams as they say in Ghostbusters. Like in my particular situation, and I think a lot of people are like this, mine was more entrepreneurial driven regardless. I was just like, what micro niche do I want to be in with this entrepreneurial flair? And it just happened to really be content marketers and authors. Okay. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about publishing. How did you get started with, uh, with publishing? Ah, there we go. Great tale from the days of yore. It was, uh, I have always loved books. Like ever since I was but a wee ute, it, that was kind of the thing. Like I was reading hundreds of books back when I was a kid, and I got into business. I made the decision to learn how to do business to fund my artistic drive. And over the course of the years, as I learned how to do the business, it kind of became this all-consuming thing 
and I and I realized I had gotten away from that. I had gotten away from the thing that drove me to be here in the first place. And that happened shockingly enough about the same time I got married and we had our first kid. So I had to look at my business was built around travel, constant travel like I'd be gone for 3 months at a time, you know, either going to conferences, speaking at conferences, just it was nuts. It, it was really nuts. I'm like, this is not conducive to a healthy marriage or bringing up a kid. So therefore, this has to stop and or at least change dramatically. And so I kind of shut down that business. And in the quietness that followed, I had to ask some very deep soul searching questions. And that was, you know, what do I want to do? What, you know, well, what now? Like, okay, this was great. It was adrenaline fueled. It was, you know, I like to call it the hubris driven business. And it was awesome. But what else – why was I here? Like what kind of legacy was I going to leave? What was – you because know, I figured out how to make money, and that's awesome, and that's a great place to start. Like you know, lots of people say you have to have a purpose-driven business. No, you don't. Do a business that makes money. Get the money first. Make sure you can sleep at night because you know, you're not terrified of your bills You know, and be able to feed your family. Once you get to that point, now you can worry about purpose. You know, and, and that was where I was. Was I was like what is it that I want to do? You know, who do I want to be when my kid – grows up and says, yeah, my dad does. What do I want that sentence to sound like? And that was really where it kind of came back to, I love writing. I love publishing. And I had gotten to the point where I had made myself incapable of writing or reading. It was crazy. And I'm like, oh my word, I have to like talk about a 180. Like I was like, wow, I'm off the beaten path. And so I've been training myself to get back onto that. And so every day, I now you know get up at 4.30 in the morning and I do what are called morning pages where I just do this like like half asleep writing exercise for seven minutes just to get my muscles going or my writing muscles going and then all that other stuff. But it came out of my passion. So, I mean, it's not necessarily something everybody needs to do, but it's what I love to do. Now, if you're in business and you don't have a book, that's silly. You do need one, um, but you don't necessarily need to write it yourself. Oh, what are some of the topics that you write about today? Uh, amusingly enough, I own ilovevampirenovels.com. So it's a uh, it's an ecosystem that caters to paranormal stuff, and so I give away about 18,000 books a week, I want to say, reach about 4 million people. And so I have a series of paranormal romance novels, which are super fun. Uh, the first book I had success with was a book called uh, How to Finally Live Debt-Free and Wealthy, and that was just me kind of like uh, almost one of those things, okay, I need you to – I, I can't even think of a good analogy for it. It was just like I had to do something to get writing again. It was more like, ah! I just like you know, hurled out this book from my subconscious really fast. And, and what kind of success you had with that book? Uh, that book, shockingly enough, did really well. It, I ended up outselling Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, Robert Kiyosaki, number one bestseller in personal finance. Uh, sold tens of thousands of copies, and it ended up as the featured book on the – landing page for the Kindle store under business and investing. And so that was part of how I learned how to work uh, the publishing industry through Amazon and that kind of thing. And uh, yeah, it worked really well and, and you know created a course on it and all sorts of fun stuff. But uh, yeah, I ended up doing the same thing with a vampire anthology because nonfiction is so easy. When you want to launch something, there, there are pre-established distribution channels for almost anything you want to do in nonfiction. You know, you just, okay, go to a blogger, go be on a podcast, go be on uh, whatever you want to do, and that group of people will hear about you, and those who want to know more will go and check you out. Done. Like, not hard. And I wanted a challenge. I'm like, well, that 
fiction stuff is still almost non-existent. There are almost no distribution channels. I'm like, I wonder if I could do it. And so I started building this ecosystem based around people who just loved vampire novels, hence the name, and ended up uh, launching this anthology, which outsold Stephen King. And I was like, okay, I think I'm onto something here. <laughs> so so how did you... How did you come up with the idea to write about vampires? How did I not come up with the idea, man? That's like that was 2010 and 11 when I made that decision. That's like all that was going on. It was twilight years, dude. So you basically are sensitive to what's going on in popular culture. I look for popular culture indicators and stuff like that. Uh, that's, I mean, this is what I do just for fun. This isn't like a big, you know, a big money maker or anything like that. But. Uh, the, the vampire stuff is an ecosystem that exists naturally in the wild, kind of like people who love zombie movies. You know, there's always going to be an undercurrent, a subculture, if you will, of people who love that genre, and they will buy everything you throw at them, provided that it's a good book. So if somebody – and are you mostly publishing on Kindle or what is your Not anymore. choice? Of, not anymore. Not anymore. Um, and it's funny because you're, you're the first time I've admitted this or <laughs> not really admitted but sort of like gone public and saying Kindle is no longer the only place to deal. Um, very quietly under the cover of darkness, Amazon slipped a dagger betwixt the ribcage of the publishing industry and punctured their final lung. And now the entire industry is gasping out on the floor. Uh, whilst Amazon walks quietly out the door. And that is they gave every author the ability to pre-sell their books. Let me explain what this means. If you want to become a New York Times bestseller, the traditional way that all the big kids do it is they put their book out to pre-sell. And you typically needed a major publisher to do this. A pre-sell means you can buy the book before it's publicly available. And so they would give themselves a couple of months and – you know, <clears throat> they would sell, 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 sell. They'd go and hustle up all that time. And think about this. If you have three months to sell 10,000 books, you can do that versus seven days to sell the same number. Well, what happens with pre-selling is that all those sales build up behind it, and on the day that it goes live, all those numbers count on a list called BookScan. And BookScan is kind of like the pulse of the publishing industry. And so if you want to hit, say, the New York Times, you need to sell uh, through Amazon, through Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, a bunch of other places where they look for indicators. And if you – like normal people now have the ability to pre-sell through almost every digital platform, and including now Amazon. Now that that barrier is down – there is no reason to have a publisher. In fact, indie authors are better at selling their books than publishers ever have been ever. And anybody can become a New York Times bestseller. It is not hard anymore. Um, and you could sell a ton of books. He's got to have some hustle. So, so then Kindle is no longer attractive for this, this reason? No, Kindle is absolutely – Kindle accounts for 70% of the book buying market. What I'm saying – I should have been – let me clarify. KDP Select, the thing where you go exclusive to Kindle, that used to be the big ninja move, and that's just no, not a big deal anymore. You know, okay. giving away your books for free is effective at times, and you can use that. And I've talked about that tactic a lot. I call it pulsing, but it's not worth it when you look at it in the light of pre-selling. Because if you want to become a best-selling author, y'all got to sell some books. You don't give them away. You know, so mm -hmm. pre-sell books. And then let those numbers count. I mean, the first book I put out through, uh, you know, I temporarily had a publishing house. 
the first book we put out, we sold 15,000 copies in the first week, hit number two on the Wall Street Journal. Uh, probably uh, would have landed on the New York Times if we hadn't focused exclusively on Amazon. But at the time, that was the only platform that mattered. And in terms of sales, that's still going to be the only platform that really produces that level of income. But you don't need to be exclusive to them anymore, at least not at the time we're talking. So uh, if somebody wants to get started with Kindle, what are some of the things that that make the difference between a book, which is the majority of books that nobody ever reads or very few people buy, and those that are successful, like some of the books that, that uh, you published, obviously? Uh, first of all, have a market. You've got to know who you're writing for. Like Fiction or nonfiction, that question doesn't change. Who is your audience? You know, that's... If you don't know that, if you, or if your answer is everybody, no, it's not everybody. It's specifically because if you think about this, let's say you have a book on how to make, you know, how to how to get out of debt, and I ask you who? Well, everybody can use this, obviously. Well, okay, think about the conversation you're going to have with like an 18 year old male college student about getting out of debt versus a 75 year old, you know, woman about getting out of debt. That's not the same conversation. So even though the point of the book might be good, it's not for everybody. So what you'd want to do is specifically write a book, say, for college students, how to get out of your student loan debt or how to get out of credit card debt or how to avoid credit card debt while you're still young and impressionable, that kind of stuff. If you want to write a, So you want to figure out who your market is before you start writing your book. And I cannot – I mean it's almost impossible to articulate – how powerful that one piece of knowledge is when you know who your market is. Let me give you the difference. When I was doing my show at the very first, I didn't really know what kind of questions I wanted to ask. I didn't know what kind of content I wanted to produce because I was all over the place. I'm like, whatever, like uh, how do you make money blogging? Okay, how do you make money doing iPhone apps? Okay, let's talk about how to become successful with a podcast and how to do Facebook. I mean I was – it was all over the place. It was good interviews, good stuff. I had great people giving good information, but it was really scattershot, and it didn't make much sense for a specific audience. The minute – I was like, all right, I'm focusing on people who want to be authors or people who are authors and want to sell more books or get their content out there. It took me I, – I, all of a sudden, this thing went off in my head, and I wrote four pages of subject lines for all of the topics that I wanted to cover. It was that different. You know, It's the difference between having no idea and having the exact idea, and that's where you want to be with your book. And it doesn't matter, like I said, if you want to do fiction or nonfiction. I'm actually working on uh, sort of a dystopian post-apocalyptic uh, novel right now. It, like I said, this is just what I do for fun because I guess I'm a masochist. But uh, it, it was yeah, I'm working on that now, and, it, and, and it's I'm using this. Uh, oh, by the way, this is a great book. If you want to do fiction, it's called Save the Cat. Get this book; it is amazing. If you want to do that stuff, it, probably you don't, but I love doing it. It's it's wonderfully helpful. I even bought the guy's software. Um, but I'm you know I'm doing this stuff now, and the first question I asked. He didn't, but I did. Was who am I writing this for? You know, and it turns out I'm writing it for guys just like me. You know, people that want to kill some time and really enjoy a good book that kind of takes a hard look at humanity and the horrifically stupid decisions we make as a species. Uh, I interviewed uh, Steve Scott, and he sold about 150,000 books. And his books are fairly short, mm -hmm. about like 18,000 words or, or so. Uh, in your experience. Um, 
does it matter, you know, if you go with the long format, you know, like, you know, 300-page book or just try to, you know, he has kind of a series of books and mm. they're all fairly short. Um, does, that, does that matter at all? My take on this is the book – well, let me give you an analogy or sort of a story. So one of the folks that we did some ghostwriting and publishing for uh, was a sort of a self-help lady. And one of the books was on procrastination. And so this book was super short. It was like 57 pages long, so probably around the 18 to 20,000 word limit. And it was hilarious because we did get some backlash from that. Some people were like, well, this book is really short. My answer to that was, well, yeah, it's a book on procrastination. We wanted to stack the deck in your favor so you could f at least finish that. And it was awesome. But you know, my, my take on the whole length of the book is it needs to be exactly as long as it needs to be. And if you are in a nonfiction kind of thing, shorter is, tends to kind of be better sometimes. And the publishing in a series, absolutely vital to do that in a series because you want to build up a name for yourself. And um, is it enough just to have your book on Kindle and then hope for the best that, you know, you have the right title, you have, you know, good content and you're an okay writer or a great writer and then the business will just flow in or you really have to promote your book even though it's in a marketplace, which is one of the biggest marketplaces in the world? I love that you ask that and you clearly know the answer. <laughs> it's uh no, if you don't promote your book, you might as well not write it. Like if you don't have a marketing plan to get out there for your book and your ecosystem and stuff like that, don't even bother getting up in the morning. Like it's ha – having the marketing plan I would say is 80% of it. Having the book is 20% You know, when it comes down to it. Like my – How to Finally Live Debt-Free and Wealthy, it was actually so poorly written I ended up unpublishing it. But it sold tens of thousands of copies. It actually had a really good reviews for the most part. Uh, the people who didn't like it were like, wow, dude, sentence structure. Holy crap, learn some. And I was like, all right, fine, that's fair. I didn't hire an editor. Get an editor, write a great book. You know, Everything I've done in fiction has all been you know, highly edited, beta readers, all those kinds of things. You know, it, so you definitely want to put out the best content possible because once people start picking up your book, if it's good and it resonates with them, they're going to tell their friends about it. But they don't know to pick it up and read it and resonate with them if you don't tell them to go get it. And so that's the part that needs to happen is the marketing behind it. And what year did you publish that book? I believe it was the beginning phases of 2011, 2010, something around there. So how much more competition is there on Kindle in your opinion? You know, because you mentioned that, you know, there was a lot of learning involved and, you know, you had to improve your writing and all that other stuff. If you put that on today, what, what can you expect? Probably the same thing because I, I know how to market. That's the thing is like, it, you know, when they when they say that, OK, you know, Amazon leveled the playing field, they mean just that. They leveled the playing field and they put it way down there. So people who can literally vomit like four pages into the into the world can go and say, hey, I'm an author. That doesn't really mean anything. It's like you have to market yourself, and 99% of people don't. So if you do what 1% does, you're going to rise above that. So the competition is an illusion. It's that noisy initial barrier to entry that scares away some people, and for those who aren't willing to do what's necessary, will eventually bog them down. But for anyone who pays even the slightest bit of attention to anything out there, and you know that marketing is vital, you're going to do just fine. So don't, don't sweat it. So uh, 
I just I just have uh, one more question. I know we went a little bit over, <laughs> uh, but I, I appreciate it. It's really good information. Uh, can you finally talk a little bit about marketing the book? So let's say I wrote something, and you know, let's say the topic is uh, you know for entrepreneurs. Um, you know, what do I do? What are maybe like two or three things that I can do to really go and market my book at this point? Uh, there's, well, there's two ways of looking at this. You can really push the book or you can push your ecosystem. And by ecosystem, I mean like your website and your lead capture stuff. What you want to do before anything else is make sure that you have like some sort of thematically, topically audience-based relevancy thing happening where you're saying, hey, in exchange for this, give me your email. So really good free stuff. And that should mention the book. The best thing I have ever seen uh, is is to just get – in front of as many people as possible. So here's what I do. I go and I find the biggest shows like podcasts. I find the biggest bloggers. I go and find like everybody I can find in every kind of media possible and get them into a spreadsheet. So I know their social reach like Twitter, Facebook, Pinterest, whatever. And then I start to go, okay, how can I get in front of these people? And like with podcasters, it's kind of awesome. Because uh, everyone just likes to hang out and talk. So that, for me, is low-hanging fruit because, hey, shocking, I like to do the same thing. So I'm like, this is a natural thing. So that would be the first thing. After you've compiled this big list of all the people who already have your audience, then you decide, okay, based on who I am and my skill set and my wants, needs, desires, and what I'm even interested in doing, where do I need to be? And so the two things for me would be getting on shows and doing some guest blogging. So step one for me, which I've already done, is you know get on people's shows. It's cool. Look at us. We're talking. It's awesome. Uh, step two is going to be guest blogging. That's what I've been priming myself to do. I came up with the topics for the posts, and now I'm training myself to be a better writer so that when I go forth, I have a leg up in that kind of thing. After that, it's going to be more of a social media reach, paid traffic thing, but that is a distant third. I do not recommend that people typically start there. Go out and leverage your fun. That's kind of what I'm doing now. Like leverage your fun. Go build your ecosystem that way. Get your voice out. Get your face in front of people and just go where the traffic already exists. You know, it exists on podcasts. It exists on other people's blogs. You know, go try to get some speaking gigs. There's what, 18,000 I think is the number. Just in America, 18,000 events every year. I promise you the majority of those things are going to be marketing related in some way. Go speak at those things. It's not hard. If you don't know the person, go meet them in social media. I mean, Twitter's like the closest thing we have to like cyber stalking, like legal cyber stalking these days. Go figure out who runs these things or who gets the speakers and go do that. You know, go get good. Go suck at something for a while while you get the word out until you become good at it. Uh, step up from that would be hire a mentor. You know, that's the other. Wait. Thing. That's the other thing I'm doing for my fiction writing. Is I'm hiring a mentor because I'm like, dude, I'm suffering right now with some plot points and I will gleefully exchange you money for wisdom. That's that's great advice, Johnny. Well, you know, we could talk all day, but uh, we went longer than 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 I should have, yeah, so I sure. apologize for that. My fault. But <laughs> but I I really appreciate your wisdom and I, I really appreciate that that you shared the ups and downs because I think a lot of people just try to focus on the on the positives, but you know you just have to focus on the failures as well for you to see the big picture. And I, I really appreciate you sharing all that. How can people connect with you or find out more about how you can help people, authors or entrepreneurs, and all that? Oh, I like to call them the author entrepreneurs. You know, folks who are going to be using a book to drive their business or a 
book or content marketing uh, to drive their business and to get more leads and turn those leads into bigger sales and stuff. So uh, right now you can find me at audiencehacker.com, and uh, that is I'm actually going to be rebranding that very soon to Author Movement as I'm doing a lot of work now in the Chicago area. And one thing – this is hilarious. Once again, another entrepreneurial pivot. As I discovered that it's hard to get senators to shake your hand for photo ops uh, when the word hacker is behind your head. <laughs> Amazing. No. So I'm like, ah, let's let's change this to author movement, and all of a sudden the people in the in the suits are a lot more welcoming. Yeah, that makes sense. So everybody, uh, check out Audience Hacker, and I'm sure it's going to forward to uh, the the new. What's the new domain? Uh, the uh, new domain will be uh, Author Movement, and that's probably going to uh, depending on when this show goes live. That might be around the first of the year. Uh, but I have a good at author. Or I'm sorry, at Audience Hacker right now. I have a great little presentation I did. Um, how we did over thirty thousand dollars. And sold uh, what was it? Thirty thousand dollars, fifteen thousand sales, and thirty-two hundred subscribers in seven days with one Kindle ebook. That's awesome. So for now, everybody, check out audiencehacker.com. And Johnny, once you go live with the new domain, just uh, ping me, and I'll, I'll update it in the show notes as well. Awesome sauce. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks for listening, and thanks for being here, Johnny. It was great to be on. Thanks so much for having me. Bye.